And, and I gotta say, Brian, it's really cool. In the last week, I've interviewed three folks that have been that have served in the military. And actually, we're going live with an episode tomorrow morning. A sniper turned inner school teacher turned learning and development uh, practitioner. So, yeah, I, you know, where I'd like to begin our conversation is I just want to talk about your experiences in in the army. By the way, thank you for your service, Brian. And if you could, for our listeners, just share a little bit of your fo- focus on operations and training. Yeah, so um, I started in the Army uh, right out of college and um, as, a, as a brand new platoon leader, uh, you know, responsible for about 40, 40 folks or so, and including some sub-leaders. And, you know, one of the, regardless of the mission, you know, one of the primary responsibilities of a um, you know, of a leader in the military is to make sure that their folks are trained um, to do their job. In fact, um, um, especially uh, outside of uh, wartime operations, that's pretty much all you do um, is train and prepare. And I think um, that set a really interesting foundation for me career-wise into L&D after, um, you know, almost... 15 years or so of um, operating as a, as a salesperson um, to kind of come back to that foundation of, you know, ultimately training and development. And it's, it's interesting, too, if you look at at least my experience as, a, um, as an Army officer, if you look at the structure of different levels of military command, um, and there are staffs that support that organization and that commander. The, um, there's a staff officer called an S3, um, and their role specifically is training and operations. And it's not lost on me that those two are really connected. It isn't training, um, and operations is somebody, somebody else. Um, and those roles, um, while they may look a little bit different from command to command and, and level to level, um, are, are almost in many ways the right hand um, of the commander. They have an executive officer, um, but, uh, you know, it, it really is that, that training and operations officer um, that is at the table at every single meeting, um, really helping um, ensure that the organization is prepared to do its mission. Um, and so that, that sort of um, got instilled to me, instilled in me, I think, um, early on, and uh, pops out every now and every now and then in my uh, civilian incarnation of of being a uh, a training guy. I can imagine, and, and it is going to inform our conversation today. But uh, where I'd like to begin, Brian, and, and you and I kind of had a pre chat about this as the current state of L and D, and reflect on it. And um, you know, I'd like to just give a quick disclaimer. By no means are we, you know, critical of the people that are in this field. There's such amazing practitioners dedicating careers, often starting from their education. And they're doing amazing work with what they've got. But we on this podcast, we simply dare to dream. And I shouldn't say simply, we dare to dream. We want to be courageous. And in that process, we want to challenge everything in order for us to look for better ways. And over the last six years that I've been in this industry, I've met hundreds of folks and, and often it feels like there's endless complexity. We're raising questions of the human condition, the human mind, the motivations, 
feels like we could talk about it forever. So, Brian, can if you could give me your current state of the world of L&D. My current state of the world of L&D. Um, you know, I'm going to have to fall back on my, on my own experiences, um, you know, as much as I try to inform myself and read about, um, you know, what's going on and interact with others. Um, you know, as, as I think about L&D and what the most uh, effective um, training organizations are doing within, within businesses, um, not unlike that, that military example we opened our conversation with, they are deeply, deeply tied to the business. Um, and I think however one is able to achieve that in learning and development is going to drive a level of value and, and effectiveness that is unparalleled. I think any time there is some degree of separation, and I'll, I'll share what I mean here in a second, between learning and development and, and the business, that distance, um, you know, is, in my opinion, bad news. Um, and so um, a, couple, a couple of observations that just illustrate that a little bit. Um, one is it's not uncommon to find um, learning and development organizations paired with the HR function um, in organizations. And, and, you know, appropriately, there are businesses out there that have L&D as a separate function. And I've been in teams that have been both ways. And you know, one of the things that I find, um, given that dare, dare to dream challenge that you, that you issued out there, is um, the organizations where L&D is a separate function seem, in, in my opinion, to be more effective. Um, I think uh, it's obvious, you know, we're dealing with people, we're dealing with talent. It may make sense to combine human resources, which is all about people, um, with learning and development. But I think that creates an additional potentially an additional layer of separation between the training function and the business, um, which creates um, additional distance between the organization and the end users of it. Sometimes uh, HR, uh, you know, has a a brand issue. Um, You know, just, you know, whether that's it's considered a necessary evil or, um, yes, we have to have HR from a compliance perspective or when we need to hire or fire people. Um, you know, sometimes um, in organizations that I've been a part of, HR is viewed perhaps as a little bit fluffy. Um, it, you know, that's where you talk about emotional intelligence and, um, and wellness and, uh, again, all important topics, um, 100%. But um, sometimes that impacts um, the brand, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and the effectiveness of, a, of an L&D function. And so where I've been a part of organizations where, you know, the, the L&D leader, that L&D team is part of the business, um, in fact, report specifically into the business leader. Um, those are those are the most effective um, that that I've seen and have have had experience with. And, and maybe that that is a place for us to go, putting ourselves in the mind of the operations leader. Yeah. Whether they're responsible for safety, revenue, 
patient outcomes. It doesn't matter what the performance goal is. They're not typically looking to learn more about amygdalas. <laughs> yeah. Asymmetric learning, kind of, Brian, I know I, I took some of the words from our discussion. Yeah, yeah. They're not looking to sit through multiple hours of neuroscience. And, and again, the human condition and its complexity is so deep that we could spend, we could put them through PhD programs. Yeah, and there are, and there are, right? Um, I, and I think, Adam, that's an, that's an excellent point. You know, I like to describe myself, first and foremost, as a business person. Um, uh I am deeply interested in what the KPIs and metrics are that my business leader is interested in. I want to know and I encourage my team to understand, you know, what are the challenges and opportunities? What keeps those business leaders up at night? What are they, what are they being asked to produce? Um, again, whether that's in an operational pers- you know, um, environment, in a sales environment, um, it just so happens that I look at the world through the lens of a learning and development professional, not unlike a marketing lead. We'll look at the exact same set of KPIs through a marketing lens. And an operations lead may look at that exact same set of KPIs through a process systems um, efficiency effectiveness kind of kind of lens. And, and I think sometimes um, in the L&D world, um, people tend to take themselves a little seriously. Um, maybe, um, you know, that's going to be uh, different for every individual. So I'm, I'm gen- I realize I'm generalizing a lot. Um, but I love, I love the examples that you shared um, from our earlier conversation. At the end of the day, you know, business leaders need um, results. They need to demonstrate top line, bottom line, um, you know, et cetera. And how we get there, they're pulling us in as, you know, learning and development professionals to get them there. But they don't necessarily need an entire diatribe about, um, you know, fancy, you know, neurology and um, brain pathways and, um, you know, fancy terminology, federated, um, synchronous versus asynchronous, you know modalities. Um, all of that stuff makes us sound pretty special. Um, but at the end of the day, it's almost like you're talking um, uh, a different language. And so, you know, for the listeners out there, I would be very, very cautious um, about um, what's the goal you're trying to drive, um, ultimately, at the end of the day. And I think, you know, for any, any function like L&D, the goal is to drive value and to demonstrate um, that value and anything that um, creates some challenges there is risky. Um, you know, I think, and, and I and I think that's part of the part of the challenge with organizations, especially larger ones that have centralized L and D functions. I think that's part of the challenge with organizations that may have L and D, you know, kind of hidden within you know this rubric of uh, human resources or or people, um, because it seems. Um, a lot less tangible, um, a lot more distant and um, more ephemeral. And at the end of the day, if we're not ringing the cash register and we can't demonstrate our value, then the cold hard truth is we're vulnerable. Um, we're overhead. Um, and 
And so I know there's a, a lot of work, um, a lot of blogs and articles out there around how you measure the effectiveness of learning and development and all of the different variables that, that go into it. But I think as a, as a starting point, it's really gotta be about driving a business metric. Um, it's, it's gotta be that, that black and white. Uh, the, there, there have been times when I've joined learning and development teams and I've looked at the performance objectives. Just, just to give you another example, Adam, of you know, the L&D team itself. And they're primarily initiative-based, um, again, in my experience, maybe activity-based. You know, learning team is going to deliver X number of these sessions or support XYZ project um, or initiative. And being able to articulate what the business outcome of that is and being able to measure that and being able to say and and demonstrate that learning and development had a role in driving towards X, you know, um, business goal, I think is, is really, really powerful. Um, so I, I had a, uh, I had a mentor once upon a time that said, don't confuse activity with value. And I have it, um, right over there actually, um, on my, on my whiteboard, just in, in red letters, just to kind of keep me grounded that at the end of the day, we're business people trying to drive a result. You know, it's almost like um, we're standing, you know, uh, looking to build a bridge between two worlds. The, the, the worlds are initiatives and activities versus value, business partner versus business person. In order to do that, we have to ask and be ready for the very for the response of the question of what are you trying to accomplish on the operational side, All right? Because that many L and D leaders they don't want to ask, because once you ask and you open up that conversation, you're stepping into that level of responsibility. And let's, you know, let's be honest on the operational side, the pressures are high. You have very specific metrics to hit. There's a lot of volatility, uncertainty. There are market. There is just so much going on. So, so Brian, let's go there. Well, let's talk about not a centralized L&D as part of HR, but back to the military experiences, uh, having L&D as the right hand of the operations, being inside the unit. What, what does that world look like and how do we think about the initiatives, people initiatives that contextualize business goals? I know that's a big question to ask. Well, let's start to unpack it layer by layer. Yeah, I, I love it. I could chat about this kind of stuff um, uh, all day uh, with you because um, it's fun, right? And, um, you know, I think the, the goal that, that you articulated, um, I, I, I think, should be a goal of a learning and development organization at whatever level, you know, whether that's a corporate um, or, you know, something, certainly something smaller. I think the model... Can be the can be the same, um, which is a learning and development team that is integrated um, into the function has a high degree of subject matter expertise, which doesn't necessarily mean that the L and D team needs to have come or sprouted organically from from the organization. Though certainly, um, you know there there are benefits um, to that, and. 
really being so close to the business that you understand what the strategies are, what the tactics are, and, and what the, um, the black and white objective goals are um, for the organization. So I'll tell I'll tell another another anecdote just to illustrate that. So um, as I've come into various L and D organizations and I've seen performance goals right uh, that were primarily activity based, one of the first things um, that I do is I will tweak the, you know the performance goals to mirror the goals of the of the business line. Um, so, for example, if I'm supporting a sales organization, um, the, biz- the sales leaders will have goals around top line revenue, expense management, um, customer client engagement, right, in, in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, I will take those exact identical metrics, identical, and, and put them in the L&D team. And, um, you know, Listen, it's a it's a change management conversation. I'm not going to suggest that uh, you know this this kind of change happens overnight. But what we're really talking about, Adam, is something that's cultural. Um, and in every instance that I've that I've done that, I get all sorts of you know questions or pushback. Well, how can I be responsible for for sales? I don't. I don't have a sales goal. I'm not on the phone or out on the street or online, you know, engaging with prospects. Um, and my answer is, you're absolutely right. You're, you're not. Um, but there are, are things that you can do. And I kind of flip the conversation. Like, what can you do um, to make a positive influence? What if your compensation L&D person was variable? Not unlike a salesperson, um, you know, how would you organize your day differently, your week, your month? Um, if you're an L&D leader and your compensation was totally 100% variable, tied to the performance of the business, what would you do differently um, with your team? And and I'm not suggesting, you know, that L&D teams go to like some sort of like variable comp model. You know, that's that's not what I'm what I'm suggesting. But um, it's a really great conversation starter. Um, and not only does it have the benefit of making sure that those L&D teams are lined in on what is most important and are fluent in that, um, it's an amazing talking point to share back with the business. Hey, hey, um, chief sales officer, I want you to know that one of the things that I've done in my first 90 days is I've realigned the performance goals of my team to this. Um, and, you know, it is a very powerful way to demonstrate that we're not just in the boat with you, um, but we're picking up an oar um, and we're rowing and we're breaking a sweat because we have as vested an interest in the organization hitting those goals as somebody whose compensation, for example, is directly, um, directly tied to that. So, you know, I think it, it gets back to this level of, closeness of proximity to the business of being able to relate to embed the same culture um, to um, have the same kind of goals it's just that we tackle them a little bit differently or, or maybe a lot a lot differently but the goal is the same goal and that's very similar you know in the in the military um, everybody's got the same goal 
um, at the end of the day. It's, um, you know, what the logistician does versus the infantry person versus the artillery person, like that, that all needs to kind of get ironed out and, and coordinated, but the goal isn't, isn't different. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of clarity in that type of structure and culture that, you know, can, can lend itself to, um, you know, a civilian corporate, you know, L&D environment. I can only imagine how drastically different that conversation is. Hey, Chief Revenue Officer, we are going to accomplish five workshops next year, and uh, we're going to send out, you know, uh, a thousand emails versus we understand we need to improve revenue by 10% as a business and uh, hit a $100 million revenue goal. That's an entirely different alignment structure. Brian and I do want to talk a little bit about the kind of the tactics of the future people initiatives. But before we do, I always chat about the current mindset, the current mindset, the attention span, stress, anxiety, uncertainty, economical, political, social. How do you see the current mindset that we should perhaps must contextualize before we think about creating any kind of change. So to, to ask a clarifying question back, are you talking about like the, the cultural mindset um, in the learners that we support or in the learning and development team or, or even, you know, all of the above more widely? Good question, Brian. I'm just thinking about the current mindset of all, I don't like the word employees, but all of the people in the workplace. Yes, I think learners would be the foundational because whatever we're looking to activate and sustain Let's think about how we get through. I call them, you know, talk about it as the noise. How do we, how do we reach them? Yeah, and it's, um, and it's changing. Um, you know, there's a lot of material and content, um, and uh, most of it very good. Some of it navel gazing, um, but around you know the different generations and you know what employees um, need. Um, you know, and, and that's taken slightly different um, turns given COVID and the pandemic and whatnot. You know, I, I think if I were to really reduce it um, down to, to something, you know, very tangible, very foundational, um, I think not unlike the business, since we were on that theme, you have to be able to demonstrate value um, to the employee. Um, Otherwise, you're not going to get them to show up or you're going to get them to show up and be completely unengaged. And it's just a waste of everybody's time that that employees, the businesses, the learning and development teams, which um, are, you know, extremely resource strapped and, and doing amazing stuff with very, very little. Um, you know, I'll give an example, um, an organization that I was a part of. Um, a few years ago, really used on-demand um, e-learning as a way to um, drive training out to the field, out, out to these branches. Um, and they were very boring. They were very dry. They, they kind of followed a format that was a template that perhaps 10 years old and, you know, nobody had really kind of engaged in, in any sort of innovation and not Surprisingly, um, the, what the staff did is they went, click next, went, click next, went, click next, guessed at a little bit of a three to five question knowledge check, and then 
were done, checked that box and went on break and, and didn't retain anything. And so, you know, I think one of the, one of the cool things I, I think about L&D as well is how do you demonstrate the value of your deliverable to, um, to the field? There's a little bit of marketing in there. There's, um, right, you're pulling on understanding why your learning is going to be important to them, what the benefit is. You know, all of these things that we take for granted and um, as, as table stakes. And then for some reason in the communication and marketing of these training events, in the way they are put together, we kind of forget about all of that and just hit re- rewind and play again and rewind and play again. And we're putting the same, you know, um, oftentimes the same stuff, the same crap um, out, you know, month over month, year over year. Um, and so I think that's that's a balancing act with, um, uh, you know, resources um, that folks have. And this, this other persona that sometimes we see in learning and development is a uh, L&D uh, practitioner as an artist. And, um, you know, they, they've gone to school, they have these certifications, um, they have the, the fancy vocabulary, and, you know, they'll work real hard putting together um, a Lamborghini, um, you know, when a uh, Corolla, uh, you know, will work, will work just fine. You know, there's this idea, too, of, you know, kind of exploring this MVP, this minimum viable learning product that can get to the field as, as effectively and quickly as possible and then you iterate um, and that you iterate on it. I think, you know, an, an observation that I'm seeing um, more recently um, is this strong, strong need for community. Um, in, my, in my current organization, we have an early talent program. We, we bring people in to the industry right out of college um, and um, it, we've, we've been doing pulse checks and feedback surveys and, uh, you know, that is a theme that, that is coming through loud and clear. How do we drive community? Um, and, uh, you know, there's all sorts of ways to, to do that with technology, with, um, and it could be something as easy as, as leveraging teams or, or some other kind of platform where you're creating a social um, environment for folks to certainly engage with each other at a similar point in time in their careers in the same kind of role. Um, but you can, you can tweak these things just a little bit and turn them into learning um, as well. Um, reflection, um, sharing, etc. Et so I think that is, a, that is a theme that, you know, probably has always been there in some way, shape or form, but I'm really seeing the volume turned up on it now. You know, I want to, a couple of minutes ago, something you said really um, tr- got me thinking. There was a podcast last week, and uh, one of the guests said, "Hey, we assume they're a captive audience. They're not. We must sell them on the value of the experience." And uh, you also said, you know, from a, kind of started to mention marketing and and how do we think about what we do on the marketing side. Uh, in order for us to, whether sell, increase awareness, talk about the brand, there's all these aspects. So Brian, if you could maybe double click a little bit, what could we take from the world of marketing as we think about 
the future of people initiatives how, how do we make them more effective with what we what we can learn from marketing yeah it's an excellent excellent question um certainly an emphasis and er, let me rephrase that not an emphasis so much but a recognition that metrics matter um, I think is is critical to L and D and not something that at least in my experience I've seen consistently, um, and it's uh, you know there are learning management systems out there, learning experience platforms. There's um, all sorts of ways to gather data. Um, I really recommend L and D do that, <laughs> and and do it intentionally and and but do it thoughtfully as well. Um, again, some great advice I got once upon a time is measure it, but like, what are you going to do with it? Like you can, you can measure all sorts of stuff and then it just becomes white noise, right? So measure with intentionality. Um, and then I think the other thing is to really, really know your audience, um, and to then build, um, learning and development deliverables that align to the audience. I mean, there's always some sort of technical skill um, that is going to need to be done. There's, you know, some sort of compliance training, but deeply understanding like what makes them tick, what's what's important to them, um, and working that into the communications and and the learning itself, um, I think is going to be really powerful because at the end of the day, you're fighting for a limited amount of time, a little limited amount of, you know, mental space, um, you know, that, that people have, um, we got to go beyond that sort of very tired adult learning trope of, well, you have to tell them the why, not just the what. Again, I think a lot of that stuff, Adam, that's table stakes now. Um, how do you go above and beyond that to, um, really capture that, that attention space and to keep people engaged. And, and so I think, you know, the content is a part of it, but I think how, you know, there's this notion of the what and the how, I think the how is, is, you know, equally important. And, you know, you see industries that are doing like amazing, exciting um, stuff out there. Um, and you see industries that, gosh, it, it you know, particularly in my experience in the financial services where it looks like, you know, um, it, it, it's boring. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't want to spend 30 minutes or 45 minutes sitting in something like that or listening to a subject matter expert like drone on, um, even, if it, even if it was valuable. Um, there's got to be some, uh, I don't know if I, can, if I can say this right, but, uh, you know, some sex appeal. Um, if you will, you know, when you think about what makes um, effective marketing, um, you know, the strong, strong marketing organizations not only understand their audience, but are amazingly creative and, and innovative. And I think um, L&D can find that balance point between effective use of resources, which I get are, are limited and really appealing to their learner audience. Otherwise, it, you know, and it becomes it becomes a bit of a flywheel um, if you do that uh, effectively too, right? Sorry. No, I'm saying that's there's the courage. 
you're you're opening up the conversation i think to the level where we must go so let's talk about the discretionary effort right so so we, we responded to the critical email we responded to our manager uh we're taking a moment a pause right between those critical tasks we open up our phone and and what's waiting for us right algorithms that have spent gazillions not, not an official term, like trillions in order to get our attention. They understand us, sex appeal, the images, the products, all the headlines, and it, almost no need for cognitive activation. We're just looking at the information and it's being absorbed almost without any effort by us. And then we need to compete with that. We need to compete for that discretionary effort. That is a monster challenge. We need to change the way we think. We need to change the way we understand. You said to know your audience. That's our audience. They're opening up Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. You name a platform, whether they're admitting it or not. That is the new I'm taking a break yeah. mode. Yeah, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. It's um, and, and there are such cultural headwinds um, to that within within learning and development I have uh, I have a, a number of kids um, at, at home and you know what they're doing TikTok like uh, I'm not a big TikTok person but um, you know and they're right there are algorithms and artificial intelligence that will drive um, the type of content that is that is put in front of them. I mean, so there's that aspect, and I know AI in the context of learning and development is a is a very hot topic. But even just the format itself, someone on a phone, you know, going like this, um, you know, with with their finger, um, learning, and they don't even realize they're learning kinds of things. Um, uh, you know, people talk about micro learning. Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna look at what we've done. We've taken this what had been an hour long virtual instructed led webinar, and we've broken it into ten minute, you know, chunks. That's like, dude, that's like ten years ago. <laughs> you know, everybody's like running around patting themselves on the back about you know like micro learning, and you know your learners are looking at stuff not in like five to 10 minute blocks. They're looking at it in like 15 second um, blocks. So how do, you, how do you compete with that, right? How do you, um, you know, build learning and development that addresses to that new milieu? Um, I think it's a really, really important question. I, I don't necessarily have all the answers to, right? But, but I think that's an that's an observation and um, can be really exciting um, for the right people. And, and on this podcast, we don't, the way I explain, why are the titles questions? Yeah. We don't have answers. Let's just start with finding the right questions to ask. What you just asked us the question kind of kind of blew my mind there for a second. Mm-hmm. It, you're basically saying the micro learning is how do we position the 10 to 15 second blocks because 
on the personal side. I mean, look, like for years, I, I never touched TikTok, Instagram, none of these platforms. Then I got into pickleball and I started kind of searching a few things on Instagram. <laughs> and all of a sudden now I find myself, oh, I have a few minutes to relax. I'll go on Instagram and off it goes. Like 10, 15 seconds, I see a move, there's a lesson. And hey, click here for a YouTube video that's 10 minutes. That's nah, a little long. I don't have that kind of commitment. But I'll spend 10 minutes looking at how many 10 to 15 second blocks. It, it's it's yeah. lazy. It's lazy, but but that's where we're that's where we're headed. Yeah, we need to embrace it. And and I think there's there's a really interesting opportunity to, if I can, I'll get a little political on you, um, but to democratize, right? That you know that's that's as political as I'll get on this podcast. But to democratize that learning, right? So, um, not unlike TikTok and Instagram, and um, you know, this content isn't cultivate it isn't built and, and managed by like this large content organization within instagram right it's all the users um are doing it and um again i'm not i'm also not quite sure fully what that may look like in a learning and development world but i but i know that that also is a conversation within that function um, that is that is being had. Like, how do you take what is in people's heads already, um, experienced folks, um, people who have the black and blue marks, and give them the means to quickly and easily, as subject matter experts, develop their own content and put it out there. Um, Right. I, I love it as an L&D guy because it doesn't take uh, any real resources for me to commit to um, from my team to do it right. It's authentic. Right? Nobody wants something that's highly polished, highly produced. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, how do you screen out the junk um, also that that gets, um, I guess, Put put out there. That 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 I also think is a very interesting question that I don't um, I don't necessarily have um, have all the answers to. Um, but I, but I think like in all of the L and D organizations that I've that I've been a part of, the ratio right between how large the L and D team is and the organization that it is supporting is like the. The change is significant. I mean, the, we have very limited resources. We're not going to get more. So, how do you drive breadth and depth of learning with something that is relatively finite, right? Um, and, I, and I think some of these platforms, like a TikTok, um, you know, that will allow us to tap into this larger organizational knowledge um, and, and history. Um, I think is really, really compelling and exciting. Yeah. So you mentioned something there, and and, and I want to just f- point out that I want to continue to stress test this on the podcast because yeah. my my theory is that if learning and development begins to talk about metrics that are operation facing and can begin to show how behaviors and performance are linked, I think the question of resources would open up. I think it's a paradigm shift and what the L&D budgets are and uh, what the resources are. But um, that's a whole other podcast. I just wanted to go on, on note that, hey, I, I think that's an interesting topic there. So, so Brian, are 
audiences, as you know, are, are champions, kind of similar to yourself who are fighting the good fight. They believe this matters. Um, they're looking to get alignment typically on how to move the organization to think about learning and development or change management, how to think about people initiatives in a different way. And they're looking for, for advice. And uh, alignment, internal alignment, is some of the biggest challenges to begin with. Um, what advice would you give for our champions that are listening in how to continue their journey in order to elevate how they how they create people initiatives i guess my my most basic um uh piece of advice would be do something just start you know you don't have to have all of the answers you don't have to have you know all of these white papers and stuff like that um you know we have eyes we have ears we you know look at what's going on around you and try something um and I, listen, I, I say that knowing that every organization is different and every, um, every culture is different and has different um, uh, degree of latitude to, um, you know, try. But I think um, look for ways to drive value to the business. Um, whatever, whatever that means and, and however you can do it. If it's not within you know, your organization's desire or your control to change functional organizational matrices and, and or, you know, org charts, then, okay, don't punt, you know, what else can you do um, as an L&D person to build your brand, to build the brand of your, of your team and to drive the kind of value um, that you want, uh, you know, simply changing the organization without that other aspect or, or aspects also is, you know, just half the battle. So I think, you know, have a bias for action um, would be would be one. Um, I think um, control what you can control um, would, would be another. And I think as you, you know, build credibility and make those deposits, um, be innovative, have fun, try stuff. Um, and uh, don't be afraid to fail. Um, you know, if, if you fail, fail fast um, and, and kick that idea to the curb and, and move on to the next one and, and really push that culture down to the, the very frontline staff of, of L&D teams who typically are going to have much better insights and ideas and, and thoughts may even be primarily subject matter experts that came from, you know, the, um, the audience of learners that they are now, um, accountable for. And, uh, and as L and D leads be that safety net, um, for them to try new things. Um, you know, I think, uh, as long as it's not unethical, immoral, or illegal, um, you know, like go for it. And um, I think there's this entrepreneurial spirit, right? That, that um, we can own our functions and we, you know, not unlike uh, other, other functions and, and other, you know, very successful business people. I think it's, you know, the characteristics are the characteristics, um, you know, of success, you know bias for action. You know, those are the behaviors, you know, measure, um, iterate, um, 
you know, don't wait for some 100% solution, you know, when the, you know, something less than that is, is ready and available now. And, you know, demonstrate constantly, be cognizant of the fact that um, there is a understandable distance between the business and, you know, L&D as a function. Um, how do you constantly champion what you're doing um, in a way that matters um, to your to your business partner? I, I think you know, that was a little rambly, Adam, but but I think that's that's what I would sort of reduce it to. I think it was inspiring, Brian. Are you, you're really giving folks something to think about and this idea that you got to drive value to the business. You, you started with that. You brought that from your military experiences. We talked about it throughout. And here kind of to wrap it up is, is really that is your main advice. I, I know you've, you've shared a lot more, but go and add value to the business. Brian, this was incredible. I look forward to our continued conversations. I, I just appreciate you jumping on and, and sharing what you've shared with our audience. Thank you. Yeah, my, my pleasure. We got to get a we got to get a part two, um, a part two going. I'm into that. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. Over and out. <laughs>